Ice cream floats at their house at 8. So if you want to come, ask Deb. There you go. Awesome. Hey, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. And we're getting back to our series called Stewarding the Kingdom. Stewarding the Kingdom. We started this all the way in Easter, and then we took a break uh, for a very important reason. And so uh, we're going to get back to talking about God's call on our, on our lives to be stewards of the kingdom that He's entrusted to us. So <clears throat> let's get into the Word and we'll, we'll unpack that. So I want to read, not the whole parable, but I want to read the parable that many people know of as the parable of the talents. I'm going to read a, bu- a good portion of it and then, and then pour out what the Lord is saying to us and kind of remind you where we've been. All right, you guys ready? Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, if you have a Bible. If not, it should be up there. All right, I'm going to read it. Uh, Jesus says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately... He went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And so he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also does the same thing for the one who gained two And then he rebukes the one who did not gain any. We've been learning that we are stewards of what God has given us. That number one, and this is so vital for us to understand as Christ followers, that Jesus is our Lord and that he's the owner. He's the master. This, of course, happened when... uh, when he, he bought us with his own blood, you remember in 1 Corinthians 6, it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, not only did God create us, not only did he make everything and make us, and every breath we breathe, every second we live is based on, on His goodness, His grace, not only that, as He bought us with His own blood and ransomed us from our own sin, from the problems that we were bringing on ourselves and from from on this world, and He ransomed and redeemed us, and He brought us, the Bible says in Colossians 1, out of the kingdom of darkness and into His kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus. And so, just like it says in that parable, you'll notice that right there at the beginning, it's one of my favorite parts of the parable, but it's the most emphasized aspect of the story. He keeps saying constantly in the parable, Jesus does, he keeps saying, uh, he called his own servants. He delivered to them his goods. See, the emphasis is that the story is about we who are the servants and Jesus who is the master. And because he is master, he owns us, 
because he bought us with his blood, and everything he gives us are his goods, his stuff that he gives to us and entrusts it to us, right? Which is why those servants that were faithful were rewarded because what they're, you can't be faithful if it's, if it's not someone else's stuff. I mean, you can be faithful with your own, but what he's talking about is, hey, you've been faithful with what I've entrusted to you, right? Yeah? You following me or are you guys just falling asleep? You guys good? You're awake? All right, good. So we, <laughs> thanks, Nancy, I appreciate that. So number one, he's the owner. This is what we've been learning and emphasizing and growing in as a church. And then number two, that we're his stewards then. Steward simply, uh, one of those other old words, sorry, Clint. It's just an old word and a, and a biblical word that just means manager. He's the, ma- ma- he's the owner, we're the manager, Right? And so, we've said, it's simple, but this is so vital for us to catch, that every single aspect of our life has, been, has come into the kingdom. It's not like we receive Jesus into our kingdom. Well, Jesus, I want you to forgive me and come in and bless my kingdom. Like Clint has often said, it's not, it's not Jesus coming into my kingdom, but me coming into his kingdom. That means all I am and all I have comes into his kingdom under his lordship. Amen? So that every single aspect of my life is under his authority, is under his lordship, and that means that our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to steward those things to his glory. I love Colossians 3.17. It's really the theme of all that we've been talking about. It says this, And whatever you do in word or deed... Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whether it's in word or deed, everything we do, that we would do it in the name of the Lord. What does that mean? As His representatives, as His ambassadors, as His servants, stewarding the things of His kingdom. Other verses, like in Corinthians, talk about doing all that we do, whether we eat or drink, or whatever you do, Paul says, do all to the glory of God. And so that means our time, Our money, relationships, whether it be roommates or family members like our spouse or our children, every decision we make, issues of direction and decisions about how we spend time or money and how those decisions affect where we work and what we do and how we work, ministry, serving others, our work, what we would would normally call work, which is really just our means of income. How, what we do to create income in our life, all of that, how we receive money, how we spend money, how we give money, even our own body, even our own body, not just in issues of purity, but issues of health, what we eat or don't eat and such. Our character, our heart, our thoughts, our desires, our dreams, our wants, all of these things come under the lordship of Jesus. Everything we speak, every word that comes out of our mouth, every action, we will be held accountable, the scriptures say, because he's our Lord and we're, he's our Lord and we're his. We will be held accountable for how we've stewarded the things of the kingdom. So it's not just like, oh, I'll be held accountable of how I've pastored the church. No, I'll be held accountable of how I love my family and what words I spoke. Jesus said, you will give an account, talking about myself, you'll give, it's in the scriptures, for, for every idle word that men speak. See what I'm saying? Like, we're going to give an account for these things. Now, 
the great thing is what we've been learning, a couple, a couple of things we've been learning is number one, he wants to bless us. So we spend a lot of time focusing on that. that. That he rewards those who diligently seek him. He rewards and blesses those who are faithful with his stuff. Not just in the life to come. Not just like when we enter into eternity and he says, hey, well done, good faithful servant. Here you go. You know that, that what, whatever you steward on this earth is just the beginning. You're, you and I, those who follow Christ, we're going to reign with Jesus and receive tremendous blessings in eternity. But even before that, Jesus says in Mark 10, anyone who gives everything for me and for the gospel will receive it fold even in this life. And he even lists physical blessings. The New Testament, as well as the Old Testament, make it very clear that God wants to bless his people, wants his people not to be in bondage or poverty or sickness, but wants us to prosper in all things, even as our soul prospers, uh, prosper and be in health. It's just the will of the Lord. The, I, I love it. C.S. Lewis, Lewis calls it the unblushing, unblushing promises of the New Testament, meaning that God's not embarrassed to say, I want to hook you up. I'm a good God. I'm a good dad. Not to make us spoiled brats, not, not any way uh, to manipulate God, you know, as some people might, but just simply that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, that God blesses us. And so that's the motivation because here's this God who loves us. He's bought us with his own blood. He's a good dad and a good master. He wants to bless us. We've also been learning that as stewards, he's the owner, we're the manager. We need to be led by the Spirit. That if it's, if it's really about, and this is what we've been spending the last couple months on, we talked about being taught by the Lord, that we need the leadership of the Spirit. That, it, that if he's the owner and we're the mas, ma, manager, that we need to know his will, like it says in Ephesians 5. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. No, that's not it. That's 2 Corinthians 5. <laughs> that, didn't, that just got put in the wrong place. Sorry. We are ambassadors of Christ <laughs> as stewards of his kingdom. But Ephesians 5, 20 through 21 says, uh, don't be fools. Don't be unwise. But it says, that's not it either. <laughs> well, I really must have messed it up. But basically, in Ephesians 5, it talks about uh, walk circumspectly, walk wise, not as fools. Not as fools, but as wise. It says, finding out the will of the Lord. Redeeming the time, finding out the will of the Lord. And we, we've talked about this, that... How is it that we know God's will? Well, we need to be led by the Spirit. The Spirit wrote the Bible, so we need to look in the Word of God and see what God's will is through the Word. We also need the leading of the Holy Spirit to know specific things that we need to do. Just like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge the Lord, and He shall direct your path. We need to be a people submitted to His will, which doesn't mean making things up or guessing. You know, people who believe that they, they love the Bible, but that's all they, they don't believe that they need or can be led by the Spirit. Well, already you have to lean on your own understanding then, don't you? Right? Even the Bible says we need more than just the Bible. The Bible is written by the Holy Spirit, but we need the leadership of the Spirit to help shine light and give us understanding and such. So this is what we've been talking about of how to be good faithful stewards. And so we're back onto this series now that we've been learning that God wants to bless us and God uh, 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 wants to lead us by His Spirit so that we can be faithful stewards. If we'll hear His voice, right? if we'll come to Jesus, Luke 6, if we'll come to Jesus, hear His sayings, and do them, we'll be like people founded on the rock. That's the, that's the way to see God's blessing and security in our life. So as we're stewarding His stuff, He takes care of His servants. And we steward His stuff primarily by hearing His voice and obeying Him. 
What the Lord wants us to, to see today as we get back into the series of stewardship, what the word of the Lord is for you today, and I want to show you this in the scriptures, is that when you're stewarding his stuff, he's the master and you're the owner. You're not on your own. You're not alone. You're not doing this in your own effort. You're not doing this with your own money, your own resources. You're not striving and trying to earn his approval or his blessing. So we need to understand the seriousness that I'm not my own, I belong to the Lord. But there is a deception that gets in there a lot of times in our own hearts, maybe sometimes in the church, where we feel like we're trying to get God to like us or get God to be pleased, or we feel like we're trying to earn blessing, you know? And we feel like we make a mistake and that's why that happened to me today. That, that, that happened because I, I must have sinned, you know, or that happened to my finances because I didn't do the right thing. And so we always feel like there's this like, well, karma really is what I think we feel, but that's totally not of God. It's demonic, right? Uh, that's not how the kingdom works. Yeah, there's principles of sowing and reaping, but it's not how the kingdom works. God's not up there like, oh, I don't like you today, you know? No, but I want you to see that, number one, we'll look at it this way. This parable that Jesus is describing in Matthew 25, he's describing a master who's going to go on a long journey, right? So he says, hey, I'm going to entrust to you something of, of my kingdom. I want you to invest it and trade it. And he's saying, here you go, and I'm going to go on a long journey. Now, this is one parable of many parables of the kingdom, right? So we can have this mindset See, Jesus is telling this parable because he's trying to set us up as his disciples to understand that he's physically going to be absent for a long time. And yet, unless you don't know much about church history, for the last 2,000 years, Jesus has been, or so, uh, Jesus has been sitting at the Father's right hand, physically, right? Jesus has a resurrected body. He's living in a resurrected body, sitting at the Father's right hand in heaven, and he's going to come again, physically, right? Bodily. Our whole hope is in that, that because he's alive, we're alive, and when he comes back, we're going to get a glorified, resurrected body. That's our hope is in that. And so, but you could read this parable, you could read this parable, and you could misunderstand something here. He's trying to say, I need you to be faithful. He's trying to say, I need you to invest the things that I give you and be faithful while I'm gone. I'm entrusting this thing to you. I mean, there's people out there who are like, well, God, God chooses who's going to be saved and who's going to be not. So, so, so we don't need to do evangelism. I mean, who, you know, if I don't do it, I mean, God will just do it through somebody else. No, no, you and I are absolutely critical to this equation. We are responsible. Any Christian is like, well, we're not responsible for that. We're not responsible for that. Oh, well, you haven't read your Bible then. He has entrusted this to us. The lives of people are riding on us. That's why he calls us salt and light. That's why he says, oh, there's so many people out there who don't have a shepherd, but, but pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the worker field, into the harvest field. Because Jesus knew the pro- what the problem was. It wasn't there was a lack of need, you know, or a lack of desire on God's part. The Bible says he wills that all would be saved. There's a lack of laborers, lack of people who catch that there's a need, right? He wills that they would be saved. But, if you read this parable outside of the other parables, you would think that Jesus is like, okay, get her done, I hope you do a good job, and I'll see you in heaven, right? Okay, your sins are forgiven, now you just, uh, here you go, you need to live perfectly now, you need to live righteously and overcome sin, and, 
And make sure to stay away from all those demonic lies that are out there and, 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 and reach the world all on your shoulders, John Paul. All on your shoulders. It's all riding on you. And if you don't, if you don't it's all on you. I mean, come on. All right. Even just like, there's so much, if you think of it like that, oh, there's so much pressure, even on just an individual Christian, right? Oh, oh, you know, oh, I got I to gotta get people saved. I got to get my family saved. Or I got I to gotta do this. I got to love God. I got to do, I got to give. Because, you know, if I don't give and then God won't have money or, you know, right? And, or you always feel like you got to do more to either earn God's approval or you always got to do more to whatever. But that's not the context of this parable, is it? Because what did Jesus say in Matthew 28? He said, go make disciples. That's the assignment. No matter what we do, we're ambassadors of Christ. He said, go make disciples. And he says, and he ends the gospel of Matthew with, and I am with you always to the end of the age. So you've got to know, understand one thing for sure, that this parable of you stewarding the kingdom, you're not alone. It's not what you do for Jesus. It's what you do with Jesus. This is one of the most important things that we have to understand, that he never said, now you go do it in your own human effort. Now you go do it in your own wisdom. Now you go lean on your own understanding. Now you go figure it out, right? God helps those who help themselves. That horrible, not Bible verse, right? No, that's a wrong understanding of how the kingdom works. You just got to figure out your money on your own. I have no idea what to do with my money, right? I mean, remember, remember when Paul said, yeah, God usually cho- chooses the ones who are foolish and, you know what I mean, right? It's in Second, uh, First Corinthians. It's like, so, well, great idea, Jesus. You save all the people who are like, don't have a clue to do with their money and then tell them, now steward your money. The whole point is that God would get glory by doing what? Teaching us how to do the things we couldn't do. Taking the people who are demonized and showing them how to walk in their authority. Taking the people out of sin and how to walk in righteousness, right? Taking people out of foolishness and teaching them how to walk in wisdom. Causing unfaithful people to be faithful and keep their promises. Do you see? That's the whole point. You're not on your own. You're not on your own. That's the whole reason why when Jesus rose from the grave, he said that he'd give us the Holy Spirit, right? That Jesus Christ is with you. If he said that he's with you, he's with you. If he said... I am with you always to the end of the age. That means that there has not been a day that he has not been with you. No matter what you've been going through. No matter what he asks you to do. God uh, empowers what he commands. When he gives you a commandment, when he gives you an assignment, he gives you the ability to do what he's called you to do. And what's that ability flow from? He, himself, with you. It's the greatest promise. I am with you, he says John 14, Jesus said it this way, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So we have to see this parable, the parable of the stewards, the talents, stewarding the talents, in the context of the parable of the of the prodigal son, the story where the son squanders what the father has given him, but then repents and comes home. And on his way home, he's thinking, I'm not worthy to be a son. I'm not worthy to be a son. I'll just tell my dad, let me be a slave. Let me be a servant in your home. And what does the father do? The father sees him a far way off, right? In Luke 15, sees him a far way off, which means the father has always been looking and wanting and desiring his son to come home. And even before the son even gets home, even before the son can even verbalize repentance, just the fact that he's trudging back, the father says, that's enough for me, right? 
That's enough for me. And the father runs, runs, the Bible says, runs and throws his arm around his stinky, smelly son. Because you don't get yourself cleaned up before you come home or come back to God or church or whatever, right? You come back to God as you are and he embraces us. And he lavishes us. It says that he, he took his robe and put it on his son. He took his ring, which was basically like a credit card. You know, that's how they bought stuff. Put it on his son, put sandals on his feet, his own sandals, and said, let's have a party. So you've got to see that stewarding the kingdom is, when you come into the kingdom, you didn't become a slave. You came into the kingdom as a son or a daughter of God. Amen? You came into the kingdom and you're living in the father's house. But the father has a business. Is what we always talk about. We live in and from the Father's house. We live in the Father's house as a son or a daughter loved by God, but we partner with God just like Jesus did. Remember Jesus said at age 12 in Luke chapter 2, I must be about my Father's business. And even later when he was older, he said, my food is to do the will of my Father and to finish what he, the assignment he gave me. That should be what we're like. Sons before the Father, sons and daughters before the Father, but partnering with Dad in his business. But see, that's what the Lord wants. He does not want slaves. He does not want robots. He does not want servants. And so our position is always as sons and daughters, but our attitude is as servants. You catch that? Our attitude is always, Lord, I want to serve you and please you. But our position before him is as forgiven, loved children. And even more than that, the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, you guys have seen this before. It's talking about husbands loving their wife as Christ of the church. And then Paul makes a statement about Christ in the church. He says, that, and we've been teaching about this, this Song of Songs Bible study, but hey, you know, you don't have to come if you don't want to. No, I'm just messing. I don't want to, I'm not trying to make a plug. But it says here in Ephesians 5, uh, 30 through 31, Paul says, for we are members of his body, talking about Jesus, of his flesh and of his bones. Verse 31, for this Reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So, well, that verse is from Genesis 2. That verse is about husbands and wives. Yes, it is. But then Paul says, this is a great mystery, verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He says it in verse 30, and then he clarifies it in verse 32, that verse 31, which is a quote from Genesis 2, is fulfilled in Christ. It's a great mystery. That this Jesus, who is the Son of Man, who is God's Son, who became a human being, did so, left the glory of God, left heaven to become a human being for one reason, he wanted oneness with us. That he would become one with us. This is what Jesus longs for. Relationship with us, companionship. And so the invitation to ministry is actually an invitation to relationship and intimacy with Jesus. And the, the, the invitation to steward the things of the kingdom is an invitation into an intimate friendship, a partnership with him. And so listen, even when you're doing your bills, he just wants to do it with you. And as you receive wisdom and steward this, how you, how you give, what you give, how you spend, it's not just stewarding what you give, right? Oh, I get it. Stewardship is like you got to give God. No, no, that's what you spend too. But it's not legalism. If you think of it like legalism, you'll miss that he wants to bless. You'll miss that it's because we're living for his glory and we'll miss he's doing it with us. You say stewarding your body or like your health for the Lord, that sounds legalistic. No, not if you understand, well, I just want to please you, Lord, and I want to receive wisdom so I can see your blessing in my life. He wants to do it with you. He wants companionship. In fact, this is a very interesting concept here in Genesis chapter 2. You remember that before this verse... 
where it says, and the two will become one flesh, which is referring to husband and wife becoming one. And it, of course, is for supplies to husband's wife as well as Christ in the church. You remember that God, before he did the first wedding of Adam and Eve, he had to create Eve out of the side of Adam. You remember that, right? Well, before he created Eve out of the side of Adam, he said something about Eve. And he said this in Genesis 2.18. He said, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now this is referring to uh, uh, how husbands and wives come together in oneness, partner with God to reign and have dominion over the world. But specifically, the old King James would say, help me. I'll make a help meet for her. And it, that word has been twisted and manipulated at times. But it literally means a strength opposite. One who comes alongside to, to partner with, who's different but complementary. That's why the word comparable. This one who comes alongside as a helper, a support. That's what Jesus wants. Oh, wait, 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 that's about Adam and Eve. Well, yeah, 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 but Paul says this is about Christ and the church. Look, Jesus did not want to be alone. This is why he created the world. Not that he's lonely. I don't mean that he has needs. That's horrible. That's paganism. What I'm talking about is God in his infinite love said, I want to create human beings in my image that I would delight in them and that I would be with them and that we would partner together. This is what the Lord wants as a partner. So he doesn't want you going out there like Lone Ranger or whatever, I don't know, other metaphor, and go out there and do it on your own. He's not asking you to do it in your own wisdom, or your own strength, or he's, doing, he's saying, come here. I've got this kingdom. I've got these people that I want to see their lives changed. I've got this world that, that is broken and needs to be restored. And li- listen, your little obedience, your simple obedience to the Lord, even how you steward your money or how you love your wife or kids, transforms this world because you're salt and light. And he's saying, just come to me, hear my sayings, and do them. Do you, see, do you hear the relational language there? Not get out of here, just obey, right? Come to me. Hear my sayings and do them. Come to me, he says. Come to me. See, I remember even being called to the ministry years ago when I was 17. I had come to Jesus and I had this, I had a bunch of messed up wrong thinking about God and myself, but I had this initial revelation that he forgave me and that he loves me. And it rocked me. It rocked me. And so I was spending time with Jesus and falling in love with Jesus and reading the Bible and all this stuff. And, and they elected me to become the Christian club president. I don't know why they did that. And, um, and in the midst of all that, and amidst of a lot of struggling in my own uh, 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 flesh, even with depression and such, just struggling, but the Lord also coming and meeting me and loving me, I, I started to feel this pull to ministry. I mean, full-time ministry. I shouldn't say ministry, because we're all called to ministry. I just felt this like, if I felt this pull, like my 100% meant full-time ministry. I don't feel that way about everyone, right? You know, we're all called to ministry, but not the same way. I felt this pull. I didn't know this kind of stuff back then. I just felt like in my, I started feeling this pull. So I started resisting the pull, <laughs> digging my heels in the ground. And I would even fast and pray so that I would hear God clearly so I wouldn't have to do ministry. You know how that works, right? You fast so that you'll hear God so you'll know what not to do. But I remember that the Lord did speak to me. He did. He spoke to me. And, uh, but I was resistant. And so I, I saw it. I began to see that I was called to pastor God's people, shepherd. 
And now I understand more of what we talked about last week, equipping, that I'm called to equip the saints to do their ministry, your ministry. But I remember resisting the Lord. I remember resisting the Lord. And I remember that sense of that, his presence, that intimacy began to be broken off. Now listen, that doesn't mean that God didn't love me or that I was out of relationship with him, but out of fellowship. Literally, I still remember to this day the feeling, that sense, that like picture in my mind that he was going this way and I was going this way. I did. I really felt like Jesus is going this way and he's inviting me to partner with him. And what he wanted is relationship, but this was the calling that he was calling me to. Each of you have your own. And I felt like I was going this way. You know what caused me to surrender to the ministry? I just wanted to be with him. And I wanted to please him. And so I still remember, it was like, oh, but I really want Jesus. I'm really in ministry because that's what he wants of me and because I just want to be with him. You know? And I've had to really work through this, a lot of this. There's still a lot of me that in my early 20s, I thought I needed to earn something or prove to him something. And the Lord had to break that of me a lot. I mean, even this thing that I'm talking to you about, that it's not what I could do for him, but with him. He had to show me that. There was mindsets I had in me, even as a young Christian, that I, I would be mad at God because I felt like he was like a, a slave driver. What, what was, who was that really? It was my own workaholism. It was my own need to, to do, do, do in order to feel significant. And the Lord has broken that off and helped me to find rest and, 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 and live out of that place of intimacy. Even this week at the Rock Conference, I, I needed to hear this. And I think many of us heard this. Many of the messages were about just Jesus. They were prophetic messages drawing us into that place of intimacy. Drawing us into, if, if you know this phrase, the secret place. And I was reminded once again, in fact, the Lord had already been speaking to me about it. But I needed a breakthrough, and the word of the Lord is powerful to bring that breakthrough, bring clarity. And even as I'm hearing the word of the Lord at the rock conference, one of the most significant things I heard was, I just want to be with you. Live your life out of the secret place. And Lord, I felt the Lord drawing me back to that. Because so often, how often it's so simple for us to just get so busy with life, whether it be your work or ministry or this or that or family or kids, right? Three kids, ah! That I'm doing, doing, doing and giving, giving, giving and the Lord's saying, but everything you have to give comes from that place of intimacy. Now just come and be with me. And sometimes, it's not that I wasn't praying or spending time with the Lord, believe me. It was that I get caught up in the anxiety of the doing. And the Lord's saying, you don't, you don't need to produce anything when you come to be with me. Just be with me. All that stuff will flow out. The other thing that I want to emphasize real quick uh, is that not only does he want to do it with you, but you're not earning wages. You're not earning wages. You're stewarding Listen, you're stewarding grace. You're not earning wages or stewarding grace. You're investing in inheritance. Now think about this, about the parable. What did it say in the parable? These are his servants, and he gave them talents, his own goods. His own goods he gave to them. Now a lot of times we think of the talents as abilities, because we don't know that a talent actually was a sum of money. Or people will preach this parable just about money. But listen, this, is, this whole parable is about the whole thing of the kingdom. The whole thing. So you can apply it to money or time or whatever, but it's ultimately about the kingdom, about stewarding the kingdom. But notice what's going on here in the parable. He already gave them the things that they need to invest. You catch that? He didn't say, 
go make me money. He didn't say, I ain't feeding you until you do make some money. I'm I'm telling you, this is so important that you see it right here in the parable, but it's all throughout the scriptures, that what he tells you to do, he will resource you to do. That you're not alone. That you're not earning wages. You're not earning wages. You're not a, a slave or an employee of the kingdom trying to earn wages and get out of debt. Like you're always just trying to, you're just, you're just always like $10 behind and maybe if I do more, God will like me. Or if I do, 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 maybe he'll pour out that blessing that Dave talks about that God wants to bless and provide and he shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Like maybe that'll be me one day. But we don't realize, no, he's already, when he gave you the assignment, gave you the tools, the resources, the favor, the promises, the blessing that you need to be able to steward the kingdom. And it's all right there in his, himself. That's why he gave you his Holy Spirit. He gave you the equipment that you need. And he's working with you. See, this is that revelation of Psalm 23.1, that when you understand that he's a good Lord... And you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack or want. See, because he's not just your master. He's your shepherd, your friend, your companion. He loves you. He bought you with his blood, and he'll provide everything that you need. You're not just a son or a daughter working with the Father, but you're an heir of the kingdom. Jesus says in Luke 12 that the Father, it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I mean, the Holy Spirit himself is a down payment of the kingdom that you've already received. You have access to all of the promises and all of the resources that God has in his kingdom. You have access to that through faith because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Let me take you back to that Genesis 2 picture for a second. Adam and Eve were put where? In a garden, right? And it was a garden called Eden. It's very significant, very, very significant. Listen to this in verse 8 of chapter 2 of Genesis. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then it talks about a bunch of rivers and gold and such, and goes down to verse 15. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden, listen, to tend, keep it. To tend and keep it. That's our assignment. You're not earning wages. You're not trying to produce something that you don't have. What you've been given by the Lord, your gifts, your time, I mean, I don't talk about the great equalizer, we all have 24 hours in a day. The resources he's given you, your abilities, the grace on your life, the people in your life, all of that, plus his presence and his favor and the promises of God and such, the power of his spirit, all of this, he's resourcing you to do what he's called you to do. Just like the garden. Do you notice what he did? He planted a garden. God planted the garden. God caused every tree that was beautiful and that was good for food to be there in the garden. It was already there. See, I'm telling you, that's how the kingdom operates. Genesis is a picture of how God started things, but it's also a picture of our redemption that when we come into the kingdom, you come into a kingdom where you have everything. It's not your soil. It's not your seeds, right? It's not your rain. It's his. Now, what did he call Adam and Eve to do? To have dominion and to subdue the earth. But how? So you got the big vision, subdue the earth. Whoa, that's huge. Like make disciples of all nations is huge. 
And then he says, tend and keep the garden. You cultivate what I've given you. We've talked about this. How do you make disciples of all nations? Well, you start with the one right in front of you by loving them and serving them. and Walk with Jesus. Come here, do. So how is it that you're supposed to fulfill the call of God in your life? How is it that you're supposed to steward the things of God in your life? Not on your own, but with Him. And not with your own resources or trying to earn something, but you're investing an inheritance. Does that make sense? You're investing an inheritance, meaning you're not an employee trying to earn wages, but you're a son or a daughter who's already received an inheritance, and you're simply taking that and investing it. That's what it means to walk with Christ. You're receiving the grace of God and investing it. But see, when we walk by sight, when we think that we're on our own, or we think we're trying to earn, when we're trying to do works, when we don't believe the promises of God that He's with us, when we walk by sight, we squander that grace. And so the thing that I'm challenging you today is, yes, to be a steward of the things He's given you by walking with Jesus in an intimate relationship, but we've got to walk by faith. See, because if you won't give into the kingdom until you see the money there, you'll always walk by sight. People say, well, I can't give, I can't tithe because I don't have. No, listen, you don't have because you don't give. People say, oh, well, I can't, you don't understand, I'm really struggling with this sin, you don't know how powerful it is. No, no, you don't understand that you're already dead to sin and alive to God. It's people who walk by sight, but I don't feel dead to sin, but but I still fall down, I still struggle. No, listen, until you believe that he already provided for you freedom from sin, righteousness has already been given to you, you are dead to sin alive to God, you won't walk in that authority and rise up in complete surrender. You've got to walk in faith that says, no, he already gave me the ability. See, if you're struggling with sin, we all struggle with it, right? But if you're struggling with it and making excuses, it's because you don't believe that you are already dead to that thing. What I mean is I have no legal right as a steward of God's kingdom, for example, to walk in unforgiveness. But it's not like I'm on my own. Oh, I'm just trying to not forgive. I mean, I'm trying to forgive. I'm trying to forgive. No, it's... Lord, I thank you that I'm dead to that sin of unforgiveness. That as you have forgiven me, so I have forgiven. It's not, well, I'm a human being and it's hard. And... No, that's, all, that's the flesh talking. Well, they did this and they did that. That's the flesh talking. But my spirit is willing. I have his righteousness in me. And so, I, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I have the ability to forgive. Because as you have forgiven me, so I can forgive. My spirit is willing, so I can forgive. See, I don't have an excuse not to gain that victory over that sin. It's the same thing with our time. Well, like, I, I can't spend time with God. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have... No, I have everything I need. Thank you, Lord, that I have everything I need. So, Lord, I'm going to sow my money into the kingdom. I'm going to seek first your kingdom and spend time with you and come to you and hear your voice and do what you say because as I do that, you'll multiply my time. You'll multiply my finances. You'll speak to me and give me direction. Lord, I'm going to believe that you've given me everything I need so I can overcome the things that have hindered me. I, I was at, I was called to Life Pacific College. The Lord called me to go there years ago. And I remember going there. Oh, I remember the Lord said, you're going to go to life. And once I surrendered, once I heard the Lord clearly and I surrendered, this is the other thing I was struggling with. Once I surrendered, I said to myself this, I'm going to have to make it happen. See, that's my committed, loyal side, which is good. I learned it from my family, but it can get in the flesh, huh? Instead of saying, thank you, Lord, that you said to go and you're going to provide, I said, I'm going to have to make it happen. I'm going to do whatever it takes. 
Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do it. So I'm going to have to get a job. I'm going to pay this for my, on my own. I said that. And so the first semester, and actually the first semester, that was probably the right thing to do. I, I took the money I had, and I paid for my first semester at life. And the Lord blessed me that way. That was probably good. But I didn't have anything for the next semester. So I got to life, and I started looking for a job. I started looking for a job, and nothing was happening. Nothing. And the Holy Spirit, I, at first, I didn't, I didn't get it at first, but it was like, I didn't tell you to get a job. I didn't tell you to get a job, but I have to. I have to. I have to because this and that, and how else are we going to get the money for this? And I'm telling you, the Lord was, after I was kind of like, ah, why? I, was, I mean, I was getting blessed before I went to life. And then all of a sudden I go to life, and it was like, what's going on? You know, what's going on? And the Lord said, I never, I never asked you to do that. And he had put on my heart to do a tutoring program that would bless people and be a vehicle to share Jesus with them. I'm not going to make a lot of money doing that, right? And the Lord said, I never said that you are supposed to get your own job. That's not the way that I was going to provide. That was a tough one, but I, I let go. Okay, you're going to have to figure it out. So I stepped out and I started working on this tutoring thing, which ended up becoming a ministry of mine and many other students for a number of years. I started working on this tutoring thing. I didn't necessarily start it, but I helped as a kind of a catalyst get things going, and then I was one of the first tutors. And it was later in that first semester, as I surrendered to the Lord and obeyed Him and stepped out with that tutoring thing, that the Lord moved on the heart of my parents, and they paid for the rest of my college all the way through. That's the Lord. See, I was trying to do it in my own human effort, thinking, God called it, God called me, so I have to make it happen. No. If he said to go, what's the next thing? Lord, you said you'd provide, so what do I do? If he tells you to get a job, you get a job. But if he tells you not to, you don't. I mean, it's not, that's not the point of it. It's not to work or not work. The point is, what did you say to do, Lord? What did you say to do? See? Amen? So you're not alone. You're stewarding what God has given you, but you're doing it to his glory, to be faithful to him. And you're doing it with, with him and with all of his resources. Amen? Clint, come on up and help me. Help, lead us, uh, help me lead in response. Go ahead and stand up with us and let's respond to the Lord as we close today. Mm, amen. Thank you, Turner. Um, so before, uh, during worship, uh, the Lord gave Tom a picture 